in the Grand Teton National Park. We went on a short hike one afternoon. And as we started out on the trail, we looked up and we were moving towards the Grand Teton, the largest peak in the entire park, just shy of 14,000 feet. And looking at it from the distance, even outside of the park, it is quite beautiful. There's a chapel, an Episcopal church built within the park, that where you're sitting in the pew, they have a wide window at the very front of the sanctuary that frames that particular peak. But we noticed that as you got closer to it, it became more impressive and majestic. But the surprise of the hike, the lasting memory that we took with us was Taggart Lake. It's a small lake at the base of the mountain covered up by all these beautiful evergreens. But as you wander around the edge of the lake, every so often there are these openings where you can go down and stand right next to the water. And it was like looking through a window. The water was so clean and pure, you could stand there counting the thousands of stones on the bottom of the lake. And the water was so still, you could see a perfect reflection of the mountains above in the waters below. And it invited you into this sacred silence. And as I stood there, counting stones, time seemed to slow down. And as those kinds of moments tend to become gifts of grace, I became keenly aware of the presence of God. And it became a holy place. Like Jacob's journey when he left Beersheba, walking towards Haran, two very well-known cities. But along the way, somewhere in between, he stops at a town by the name of Luz, a lesser-known village. And he's tired and weary from walking, so he decides to rest from his journey. He lays his head down on a rock like a pillow, and he goes to sleep. And while he slept, he had this now famous dream, looking up, seeing that ladder reaching up to the edge of the heavens. It was like a staircase where you could move easily between heaven and earth. And he heard a voice that said, I am the Lord. And God said, I have not forgot about the promise that I made to your ancestors. I will be your God and you will be my people. And when Jacob wakes up, he says, the Lord is in this place. It had become a holy place. 
And he took a stone and he placed it on a pillar, marking it as sacred. And he called it Bethel. It is what Celtic spirituality refers to as a thin place where that normal divide between heaven and earth becomes so thin, it is permeable. And we can see and catch a glimpse of the presence of God. And those temporary flashpoints awaken something inside of us. Light is brighter. Hope is stronger. That we sense the presence of God. And perhaps the psalmist was writing after one of those moments. And that's why the psalmist said, where can we go from your spirit? And the psalmist goes on to say, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away, then any time we brush up against a thin place, we feel as if God knows us, that we are anchored in something bigger than ourselves. And we call that place Bethel. And it can happen in any place because where can we go from God's spirit? It might have been the first time a child was placed in your arms where we are rendered helpless, trying to describe that mysterious love that fills us up. Or maybe it was on the days of a church retreat off at Passport, imagining an upside-down world. Or maybe on a mission trip off in Brazil, participating in turning the world upside down. Or maybe it was walking on those early hours as the sun is just coming up on the sands of a beach, feeling the wind blow across your face, listening to the tide slowly roll out. It can happen in any place and every place. But sometimes we lose sight of it because we're only looking for those quiet and still moments around us. That there's another story about Bethel, this time in the book of Zechariah. That even though Bethel was a thin place for Jacob, the people in Bethel are now yearning to experience the presence of God. Maybe they're looking at that stone still sitting on that pillar and wondering, what did Jacob know that we don't? So they go to the prophet and they ask about fasting. They want to practice fasting as a way to draw God's presence close to them. But the prophet points out that they do not care about 
the needs of their neighbor. They do not show kindness or mercy to the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor. And the prophet criticizes them and invites them into those concerns so that they can encounter the presence of God that oftentimes when we dream of finding God in a thin place, we only imagine the moments that are still and serene, which are essential. But we can also encounter God as we encounter others. Eugene Peterson, who authored the message amongst a long list of other books, loved the outdoors. He relished in the still and quiet moments of life. And he tells a story about being frustrated one week with all the busyness of life and ministry. So he decides he needs to leave town. So he backs a bag on Sunday night, and early on Monday morning, he's busy checking off that last-minute to-do list, seeing the people he needs to visit, making the phone calls he needs to make, tending to all the tasks that he has to get done, and then he gets in the car with his wife, and he goes camping. And while they were camping, one night he had a dream, like Jacob did, and he called it, his Bethel dream, that in the middle of this dream, he walks into a bookstore in Baltimore, and he sees this large display of books, and over it is a sign that says, New York Times bestseller. And he's startled because he sees the author's name on the book as Jerry Ellingson, someone he has known for 35 years. He had no idea. She was an author. So in his dream, he ran to a payphone and he called Jerry up. He says, Jerry, I'm so excited. New York Times bestseller. I had no idea. I didn't know you were a writer. And she said, you didn't know? I've been writing that book every day for my entire life. The name of the book was Lys. And in his dream, when Peterson got off the phone, he went back into the bookstore and he purchased his friend's book. And he started to flip through it and all he found on every page were lists. Grocery lists, laundry lists, to-do lists, shopping lists, Christmas card lists, no story, no plot, just lists. And when he woke up the next morning, he realized what his Bethel dream meant. That he had lost sight of the fact that all of those lists where he inevitably encountered the lives of others 
were best seller material. That we can discover the thin places in life as we are caring for those around us. Those closest to us or even the stranger and the vulnerable within our reach of care and concern. Perhaps you've been on a hike or somewhere along the way you came upon this place where some other hiker had taken six or seven stones and stacked them on top of one another like Jacob did. It's become a common practice representing balance, discernment, a realignment of one's life. That we were walking along a rocky shoreline one time and we rounded the bend and it opened up and all of a sudden we saw hundreds of them. These small stacks of stones where people had stopped and thought about the things that matter the most, that it had become a holy place. And I sat there and I thought about what each person must have been thinking about when they stacked those stones on top of one another. Were they wrestling with pain and seeking relief? Were they walking with a loved one and reconnecting with one another? Were they asking hard questions and seeking necessary clarity? Were they yearning for a thin place to brush up against the presence of God, that we can discover Bethel, these thin places, wherever we are, even while we are caring for others, standing with them, walking alongside of them and sharing our lives with them. That it can become a holy place for them and for us. Amen.